Well, good morning. It's good to see you today on this gorgeous day. I love Margaret's introduction. I don't know, that, that really kind of is motivating me to, um, maybe I'll just let the leaves sit on the grass, you know. One of my kids said, you know, let us know if there's anything we, we could do for you, Pops. You know, I thought to myself, why are they asking me this question? And I'm thinking, and I finally said to them, do you think I'm getting old? You know? I said, you know, I think there is something. When all the leaves fall down, I might see if all you guys would come and clean them for me. They weren't that enthusiastic about helping me anymore after that. So, so this series that we're working through on what concerns Jesus is following the acronym of church. Christ in his kingdom, C. Hope and holiness, H. Unity and witness, which we looked at last week. And today, we're going to look at the letter R. Right? And see what God might have to say to us today. We're going to look to Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Oh, children, get out of here. Up to grade two. Up to grade two. They're going out. I keep forgetting. There they go. Get, get out. Go. And uh, they'll be back. <laughs> That's awful, isn't it? So they'll, they'll be back. And, um, but uh, there they go. Mark chapter one, very famous words, but I have a question for you, and I want you to answer this question in your mind. What is the good news? Just answer that. First response. What is the good news. There's an old but famous bumper sticker that I think captures the sentiment of some, if not many. You've seen it. I've seen it. It says this. You could probably finish this. Are you ready? Let's see if you can. I'm not perfect. What? I'm not perfect, just forgiven. I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Man, I love forgiveness, and I love the message of forgiveness, and I'm grateful for forgiveness, but let me ask you, is that alone the good news? In some ways, we've reduced the good news to a band-aid to cover our wrongs, to kind of get us off the hook. Or maybe we've reduced it to an eternal life insurance policy to cover us after we die. But doesn't really relate to how we live each day. We, we have this disconnect between how we relate and what we say we believe. Maybe we look at it as a benefits package that's focused on health and wealth and entitled hopes to kind of fit around our life. Or more darkly, we have made the good news to be a more partisan gospel, aligning with our visions of power. But what is the good news? What is it? I think it is found in the very first message that Jesus goes public with. There are many other things that Jesus could have said. But what he did say is good news. Now Jesus at this point has been baptized and he has he has now endured the desert temptations. And he finds himself now coming back into the community, and the news is not good. His cousin John, John the Baptist, if you remember, was his cousin, 
is in prison. Why is he in prison? Because he called out the political leader for his immorality and his injustice. And we are told after that, the scriptures tell us, that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. So, so he gets this news and it says that he goes and he proclaims the good news of God. Now listen to his opening line. Here it comes. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Good news. There are many other things Jesus could have said. But at the forefront is repentance. It's such a misunderstood word, but it's what he said. But right at the front, here's the truth. What Jesus desires is not to make us good people. Jesus is not interested in making us good people. Jesus wants to make us transformed people. He desires to renovate our hearts and transform our lives. And so it causes me, it begs a question to be asked that I must be asking myself. And the question is this, am I becoming a transformed person? We sang earlier these words when we said this. When we're singing beautiful things, I love the line that says, he's making me new. Let me ask you, is is Jesus making you new? Is Jesus making you new right now? You see, that's what he's after. He wants us to become transformed persons. But when when we think about the word repentance, it feels negative. It feels archaic. It's often viewed as a killjoy, that I don't get to do something that I like, where I find pleasure, and i got to stop that. It's the idea of the guy on the corner with the big sign saying, repent or you're going to hell, right? Some crazy person with long hair and big beard, or no hair and a short beard. But what it is, is a beautiful vision of life given to us by Jesus. It's an invitation to us. This is good news, and here's the good news. There is power in the gospel for us to become different people. This is and has always been the hope of the gospel. The good news invites us to encounter the renovating and transforming power of God. And that should both stir something within us, but it should also kind of create some quaking within us that God actually does want to intersect the depth of who I am and change me. We should maybe shake a little bit about that. I first read Annie Dillard's description of gathering in church years ago, and I chuckled then, and I chuckle now. It's from her book, Teaching a Stone How to Talk. The language is a little dated, but the idea is current. Listen to these words. Why do people in church seem like cheerful, brainless tourists on a package tour? (laughs) What? (laughs) I told you, just hang with me, okay? 
Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we blithely invoke? It is madness to wear ladies' velvet hats to church. By the way, I haven't seen a velvet hat in church and I don't know how long. But it's dated. Hear it. It is madness to wear ladies' velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews because of the power. Why is it? Because the gospel is about the power of God to alter the balance of life. It says it over and over. Here's a challenge. Here's a Bible challenge for you. Go through the New Testament and look for the power of God. Read it through that lens. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, these famous words, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is Paul not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. Now, the, the thing about God in our world and in our lives is this. We want him to be very tame. <laughs> we want him to be the tamed God. You know, the God that, that we can tame and he can kind of play nice with our lives. Right? But did you know that God is the untamed God? He's wild. He's the God who brought order to chaos. He's the God who parted seas. He's the God who raises the dead. Now, does what we believe transform us, change that? Does what I believe transform me from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God? If not, it's not the gospel. Does what I believe provide all I need for life and godliness? If not, it is not the gospel. Does what I believe give me power to go into all the world and be a witness of the grace and the justice and the mercy of God even to my enemies? If not, then is what I believe actually the gospel? The power of the gospel. Brother Curtis Almquist says it this way, Christianity with power, without power is like a country club for nice manners and good taste. Is that what we want? Is that what I want? You see, this radical invitation from Jesus is an invitation to turn to the power that's found in the good news. And do you know what the power that's found in the good news is? It's Jesus himself. In fact, he said, did you hear it? Here's, here's the, the, uh, the, um, um, uh, a different translation of this. Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Change your hearts and lives and trust this good news. This is a different way of being. Here is a different way of being, it seems like he's saying. Here is a different way of living. And this way is standing right in front of you. Jesus. Who's standing right in front of you? Well, Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So you see, this is about participating in life with Christ. Every day, 
It's about living in and out of the kingdom of God in the here and now. It's about living in the power of Jesus each day. And because this is true, the good news is about renovation. It's about heart change. It's about life change. It's about transformation. It's about choosing a different way to go and live. Not in our own strength, but with his tenacious and transforming grace. This is not up on the slides, but I would write this verse of scripture down. 1 Corinthians 4.20. And this is how the message paraphrase says it. God's way is not a matter of mere talk. It is an empowered life. God's way isn't just a bunch of religious talk. It's about an empowered life. Now, you may remember the mission statement of Jesus. He's in his hometown. Goes to his hometown synagogue. They hand him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unfurls it, lays it down, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He wraps the scroll back up, sets it aside, and you could have heard a pin drop. The text says this, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now put yourself there. Put yourself in that setting right now. Imagine this. Jesus is now standing there. He's, he's rolled the scroll back up. He set it aside. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue is on him. And that's when he drops the mic. And he says this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Do you know what he's saying? Preston Ulmer puts it this way. Jesus is the yes face of God. Don't you like that? Jesus is the yes face of God, always inviting us into his life and requesting that we invite him into ours. He's the yes face of God. This is what salvation in Jesus is about. His life that frees from the grip of sin. His invitation to his life. To actually live life in his life, with his life. That's the life of faith. Free to live for him. Free to live with him. Free to live like Jesus, being conduits of his grace to the broken world. That's good news. That's good news for us, and we become good news to others. And so the message today for you and me is the same message. He is here. And we can become not just good people, not just better people, but renovated people, transformed people, different people. So a question that's worth asking, that I must ask myself, that I ask myself, and I must continue to ask myself, am I a different person since claiming to follow Jesus? Am I different? since claiming to follow Jesus. Or maybe, was there a day 
when I was filled with passion and purpose for Jesus, but now it is more like that religious country club feeling, worthy of a yawn in my soul. The question I have to ask myself then is, Jeff, what has shifted? What has changed if that's the case? Am I more in love with Christ now than when I first declared my faith? This idea, this idea, getting back to that song we sang, he's making all things new in an ongoing basis. Trust me, there's so much in my life. I, the more I love Jesus, the more I come to know Jesus, the more I know I need Jesus. In so many areas of my life, he keeps showing me more and more and more. Probably stuff that he couldn't show me 10 years ago. What he shows me now in the dark places and the hard places and the struggling places because he wants to keep making me new. He wants to keep transforming me. That's his desire for us. Am I more in love with Christ now than when I first declared my faith? Jean Guyon was a 17th century Christian who was thrown in jail in France for her preaching and writing about a life focused on being in union with Christ and God, about this very idea of being in participation with Jesus. She gives really wise counsel. She writes, Why do converts remain basically unchanged despite so much effort? It is because they have dealt only with the outward matters of their lives. There is a better way. Go straight to the heart. Laying down rules and trying to change the outward behavior will not produce a work that will endure in the life of a Christian. Teach the believer to seek God within his own heart. Show that he can set his mind on Jesus Christ. He will see that in him is everything needed for life and godliness. Here's the problem. Here's the challenge for you and me. It sounds really great. And maybe you want to put your hand up right now and say, you know, that sounds great, Pastor Jeff, but, right? And I could fill in all kinds of buts, right? But here's the problem. We are not receptive to the slow work of the Spirit. We want everything instantly and we want it to so much look like what we already have with just God playing nice with us but what this is about is this is just so committing to God and allowing the slow work of a life with God to continue to unfold to continue to make us new sometimes in the places when it's dark in my soul when I find myself in the hard places, in the dark places where I don't feel God, sometimes I want to give up and say, but God, nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. Still struggling with this. And God just seems to keep saying to me, you got to trust me with this. you got to hand this over to me with this. Do whatever you have to do to be faithful today. And leave the transformation to me. Because here's the, here's the good news. I can't do it. 
But remember what we're talking about? He has come. And we live this life with him and his mighty grace. We make the focus of our Christian faith so many things. But again, hear this provocative claim. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. Well, you know that idea, we haven't left it, the idea of repentance is about turning in his direction. The kingdom of God has come near, turning in his direction. But now we have a different question. Not, have I become a different person? But, do I really want to be a different person? Now, we all have to honestly ask that question. Do I really want this? Do I really want to do this? Do I really want to turn towards Jesus? And probably in our congregation, most people would say, well, of course, Pastor, we want to turn to him. Because we've, we've determined that repentance is something we did way back then when we asked Jesus into our lives. But hang with me for a moment. I want to talk about a really religious person who had it all together. Do you remember the rich young ruler in the Bible? How many remember the rich young ruler? Put your hand up. Okay. Well, he comes to Jesus. He's very happy with his religious life. In fact, he's very proud of it. He had it all figured out. He knew the religious language. He had the religious practices down pat. I'm sure he did his devotions. I'm sure he said great prayers. I'm sure he was a regular at church. I'm sure that he dressed the part. He spoke the part. And we also know this. He knew all the right answers. We know that. Maybe hoping for a spiritual attaboy from Jesus, he asks Jesus what he must do to gain eternal life. And then what Jesus says is, you know, here are these commandments. Do the commandments. And the rich young ruler affirms, this rich young man affirms all those commandments that Jesus had mentioned. And then he says this, I've kept them since I was a boy. Right? I could see him kind of standing a little taller. Right? I've kept them since I was a boy. But then we read this. You ready? Jesus looked at him and loved him. Oh, love that. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And the text goes on to say, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad. Notice he didn't go away angry. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's a question we need to ask of Scripture when we read it. Are you ready? What's going on here? <laughs> Wait a minute. What's going on here? He had it all together. He had the answers. I mean, he passed all the tests. He could check all the boxes. What's going on here? Well, I think immediately what we think about is we think about money. He was a man of great wealth. We think about possessions. But I think that's too convenient to slip into just that category. Because what this is not about, this really isn't about the wealth he held 
but it's about what had hold of him. And that's an important distinction. There lies the rub. It is what had hold of him that prevented him from turning fully to Jesus. So what is it that has hold of me that will cause me to walk away sad because I am unwilling to let it go and turn fully towards Jesus in his way? It may be wealth. It may be the plan you had for your life that's not working out. And you're holding on to that. Maybe it's family. Sometimes we put family before God. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's the pace of life you're trying to maintain to maintain a certain lifestyle. It could be anger. I have a right to be angry. So we hold on to that. Could be unforgiveness that we're clutching. Or perhaps it's a burden of guilt. Guilt over choices that we made that when we were making them, those choices promised to give us the life we wanted and now we're left with an empty, dry soul. Whatever it might be, Perhaps you have come so used to holding on to it that you are afraid to let it go and turn. I can't improve upon what Scott Sauls says. He said, we each have something at the center of our souls that we treat as our functional treasure, as the ultimate source of our own happiness and significance and flourishing. Whether it's Jesus or someone, someplace, or something else, we all depend on these treasures to save and sustain and govern our lives as functional Lord and Savior. We tell ourselves, if I can have this, then it will be well with my soul. If I can hold on to this, things will be okay. If my thoughts, my words, and my deepest commitments are centered on this, my life will be worth living. And I think the rich young man had that. You see, repentance is letting go of that which is a functional Lord and Savior that replaces Jesus. So I can hold on to the true Lord and Savior. That's a great definition of repentance. It's letting go so that I can hold on to Jesus. Brother Jeffrey Tristram captures it this way. And so with the rich young man, Jesus was saying to him with great love that if you don't empty yourself, I can't fill you. There's no room. When Jesus looks at you and me with great love and longs to fill us with his life, what does he find? What does he see? Does he see someone who's too full already? Jeff, is your heart too full to make room for Jesus? Here's the good news. I, don't, I can't ask you that question. I must ask myself that question. And you're invited to join me in asking that question, but I can't tell you to ask that question. I must ask myself that question. Is my heart too full 
to make more room for Jesus. But there is this glorious, glorious good news. The kingdom of God has come, Jesus said. Repent and believe the good news. Turn. Turning towards Jesus, making room for him to fill life. Following the one who said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. No wonder this was the first message Jesus preached. Repent, he said. But as I intimated earlier, this was never intended to be a singular instance. This wasn't intended to be like a a one-off but rather, this is intended for a lifelong rhythm. One definition of rhythm is this, and this is one of the things I don't have a lot of, our instrumentalists do. I'll have great rhythm in heaven, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Here's a great definition. A strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement. A strong, regular, repeated pattern of movement. See, repentance means turning from so that we can turn towards. That's what the basic meaning of the word is. And that is the nature of this in an ongoing basis. It's a constant turning towards God. It's regularly making room for him in our lives. It is bringing to him on an ongoing basis the places in our lives where it is more my will than his will and then allowing the fullness of his grace to wash over over us and make us new over and over and over and over and over again. He saves me and he keeps saving me. He converts me, and you know what? This is not the best news for my family. Maybe it is. He's still converting me, right? He sanctifies me, and he's continuing to sanctify me over and over and over and over. So no wonder the scriptures teach us in Colossians chapter 3, if you have been raised with Christ, Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And that's the verb tense of that. Keep seeking. It's not an arrival point. So why do we do this? Why do we have to keep turning? Why do we have to keep seeking? Why do we have to keep making room? Why do we have to keep hungering? Why do we have to keep longing? Why do we have to keep at it whether we feel like it or not? And replace the word but. You know, God, if only, but. Why? Let's go back to that 17th century Christian, Jean Guion, when she writes, in this state of continually being turned to God, you are abiding in the love of God. And the person who abides in love abides in God. You see, really, what this is, is about turning to God, no matter how we feel, no matter whether or not it's working out how we want it to. It's really about turning to God for God's sake. Just because we love him, whether or not it pans out as we think it should. That's part of what this idea is about. It seems like there's something of a theme of leaves today. Well, the trees, when I was 
working on this sermon this week, I looked behind my desk and I looked out the window and the trees were blazing. They weren't last week, by the way. But this week they were blazing. And it was blazing beauty in the sun. The sun was just like hitting them. And so we've watched the leaves turn. As I said during Wednesday's Word and Prayer, we, we kind of really this time of year especially live in God's country. Right? It's beautiful. It calls to mind that old axiom to turn over a new leaf. Today we have this invitation from Jesus, the living Christ, to turn wherever you are on your spiritual journey. Maybe you have never truly turned your life over to him. Or maybe you did that 30 years ago, but you know, inside of you, You've lost something. Wherever we are in this journey, we are invited to turn. The Passion Translation of Romans 2.4, some of the most beautiful words on repentance in the Bible, says this, you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance. That the whole purpose of grace is to change my heart, oh God, and make me ever new. I love that. Grace transforms us into new people. Grace calls us to turn. The worship team is going to come, and we're going to sing here in a little bit. Come just as you are, and then when we're done, James is going to close us in prayer. But recently... I was reading something, and I was reminded of the lion and the witch in the wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia. When our children were little, I would sit at the top of the stairs in our first pastorate, and I would sit there with those books, and I would read them to them at night before they'd go to bed. And I'd sit on the top step, and you know their rooms were just, they were, all, they were within my hearing, and I'd read for a while, and then I'd stop, and they'd go, oh, Pops, oh, Poppy, Poppy, please keep reading. It's so great. It's one of the most glorious things, reading that. Well, I was reminded of the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe, and of Aslan, the lion. My, one of my favorite lines is from the beaver when they're asked, is Aslan safe? And the beaver, so Mr. Beaver says, oh, Aslan's not safe, but he's good. Do you remember, if you've read that or seen the movie, do you remember the state of affairs in the courtyard of the White Witch before Aslan came? You may recall that the White Witch turned all the creatures of Narnia into stone statues. But then the lion, Aslan, breathes on these cold, death-like statues. And the stone begins to crack. And it begins to melt. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, the courtyard no longer looked like a museum. It now looks like a zoo. 
Creatures were running after Aslan and dancing around him till he was almost hidden by the crowd. Instead of all that deadly white, the courtyard was now a blaze of colors like Margaret's lawn. And instead of the deadly silence, the whole place rang with the sound of happy roaring, squealing songs and laughter. There's something in that courtyard, there's something in the breath of the lion Aslan who is Christ that awakens in me, just awakens in me, this beautiful invitation from Jesus to turn. To turn toward him and find the power of the gospel. To turn towards him. To meet him. To meet the yes face of God. And oh, there's some things I need to turn to him with. There's some attitudes I need to turn to him with. There's some things that I have a tendency to hold on to that reduce my capacity to let the lion breathe on me. And when I turn, when I have the courage to turn, I discover something. I discover he's already turned to me. That's what grace is. He's already turned towards me. He's been turned towards me. He's been chasing me around. And he turns to transform my life as he renovates my heart with his grace. The kingdom of God has come near Jesus repent and believe the good news that's what concerns Jesus we're going to sing this song come just as you are is there something that you're holding on to that's reducing the room in your life for Jesus? Is there a functional Lord and Savior that's something other than Him? Is there a pain that needs His touch? Is there, is there hope that will only be realized in Him? Do you need the breath of the grace of God to blow over the courtyard of your heart. As we sing this, I just want to invite you today to ask the Lord to meet you, the yes face of Jesus, the yes face of God, and just turn, not just in a moment in a service, but in the moments of life, just to turn. That's what concerns Jesus.